Welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. I am, of course, your host, James Shimo, and I am here, of course, with my co-host, the one and only Mr. Ryan Payne. Ryan, what is going on, my friend? How you been? Oh, I've been pretty good. Uh, there's been so much we can, so much to talk about, honestly, but it's been pretty good here. I've had a very good, I've had very good extra a couple of, couple of days on hand. I'm looking to extend that uh, streak going on. Good, good. Obviously, any positivity you can get in your life. It's a good thing to keep it moving as long and as, you know, as extended in a manner as you possibly can. Because let's face it, happy moments are few and far between in 2020 and especially in 2021. But hopefully brighter skies are on the horizon for all of us, wrestling fan or otherwise. So today is our weekly ramble. Of course, this is going to be a look back at the week that was in professional wrestling. Today we are focusing from January 11th through January 15th, and quite a bit happened. Of course, at the very beginning of last week, we learned that Drew McIntyre, the WWE champion, is out with COVID-19. He was diagnosed as positive, but on the plus side, he is asymptomatic. So after a nice two-week quarantine, he will be back, and thankfully will be back in enough time for the Rumble. Uh, all our best wishes go out to Drew, as well as his family, all, anyone who is close to him who may have also been uh, exposed. So uh, get well soon, Drew, and uh, we hope to see you back in the ring sooner rather than later. Yeah, same here, my thoughts. I mean, of course, when I heard he got that, uh, immediately I was just hoping that it wasn't too much of a, se- a, a, a very severe case, that it was just slightly mild to, you know, that he could recover from, but at the same time, you know, much needed rest for him. That dude has been Pretty much the workhorse he's been carrying, pretty much the WWE, the, the the Raw WWE Championship flag on his shoulders for like majority of 2020. Yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, you know that's it's the times we live in. Despite our best, you know, our best attempts to prevent the spread of disease, you know, sometimes you just can't help it. And once you find out you're diagnosed, you just got to roll with the punches, get through it as quick as possible, and get back to. Grinding the grind of the pavement as much as you can. So uh, as big as much fighting shape as you can, honestly. Exactly. So once again, uh, best of luck to Drew McIntyre in his recovery, and we will see him back in the ring very, very soon, especially with the Royal Rumble looming on the horizon. All right. Then also uh, in big news this week, we find out that WrestleMania, the day of WrestleMania, has been moved. Uh, it is. It was originally supposed to take place in Hollywood. Uh, around about the end of March. Yep. But now it has been moved to Tampa Bay, Florida, Raymond James Stadium on April 10th and 11th. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. WrestleMania will be two nights once again this year. Uh, they are still hopeful to have uh, individuals and fans in attendance by moving it back this far. I personally am not holding my breath, but we will see what happens. But regardless, WrestleMania 37 will take place in Tampa Bay this year. Next year, WrestleMania will be taking place in Dallas. And then the year after that, in 2023, WrestleMania will take place once again in Hollywood, California. Ryan, your reaction to this news? Well, obviously, it's not surprising to me. I knew that WrestleMania, there was no way they were going to come to California this in 2021, even though they, that was their plan. I knew it was either going to be somewhere within Florida, like Tampa, or they were going to try to do, uh, like, uh, like what Annex. Like, they were going to try to make their own little stadium somewhere to where they can produce WrestleMania. Kind of like how that angsty, they're no longer a performance center. They're now in a, you know, they're now in a different stadium set to where the conditions are much better controlled in their, you know, in the, within their within their realm of power, within their world of power, honestly. 
But, yeah, it doesn't shock me. The fact that it was pushed to 2023, not surprising either. I mean, let's be uh, with Vince McMahon and WWE. Let's see when it comes to bringing shows in California. They're not as loose with their certain with certain business terms that Florida is with, with Vince. They're more they're more stricter on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's be fair. The, the way that they announced it with his faux newscaster kind of thing, Triple H in a ridiculous old wig, almost like, you know, it, it almost looked like Wolf Blitzer's toupee, you know, is, is how ridiculous that thing looked on him. Stephanie playing yeah. his co-anchor. You had... Uh, Sasha Banks in one role. You had John Cena in another one. And then, of course, Roman Reigns was given some kind of a role, but he just said, fuck it, and I'm not doing this shit, and just decided to play it straight as Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman behind him when they announced the location for WrestleMania this year. So at least they they tried to take some of the piss out of themselves with having to do this, and I thought it it worked fairly well. So, okay. With all of those little tidbits out of the way, let's get into the actual shows that took place this week. Now, I know last week I kind of went through things very, very quickly, I or as quickly as I could, but that was also very, very detailed. I know that I tried to get out a lot of information about what was going on in the matches. I think to make things move a little swifter, especially since we will be doing this as a combination weekly ramble as well as a pay-per-view review, I'm going to try to go through yeah. just the cliff notes as quickly as I can. So, Raw started off with a Triple H-Randy Orton confrontation. Uh, Randy challenges Triple H to meet him later on in the night. Uh, after that, we had Charlotte versus Lacey Evans, and, uh, you know, Charlotte said that Rick was at home doing his own thing. Turns out Rick was backstage. He came out and solidified himself as a heel, aligning himself with Lacey Evans against his own daughter. Uh, why are we trying to build sympathy for Charlotte as a babyface? I don't know. Makes zero sense to me. Uh, the next storyline that we had going on was Keith Lee and Sheamus. Frenemies? Uh, I wonder what was going on. At one point, Sheamus came up to Keith and said, hey, you went into Claymore Country last week. You gave everything you had. Um, you know, you earn Drew's respect, so you earn my respect. They faced off against Miz and Morrison later on in the night, but then as soon as that match was over, they were back at it again. And yeah, they had a singles match after they'd gone through a grueling tag match with Keith Lee, of course, getting the win. Uh, Elias and Jeff Hardy is still a thing going on. Ugh, I'm over this thing. Uh, Jeff Hardy had a match with Jackson Riker, uh, which was a quick little, uh, just a roll-up pin or just a one-shot deal squash. Eventually, Hardy says, Elias, get in the ring. I'm going to whoop your ass, and does so. Elias tells Riker not to get in the ring, but uh, eventually when he loses the match, he says, why didn't you help me? Well, Jackson's like, well, he said not to. All right. Um, Xavier Woods takes a fall to Retribution. He loses to T-Bar. I wrote down, uh, seems a little too little too late to try to push Retribution after you've already pretty much neutered them. Uh, then you had Riddle and Lashley for the United States title. Riddle quickly taps out after just a brutal beatdown from Lashley. Riddle tries to uh, basically goads MVP into a match after the fact, but in the middle of that, after he hits the floating bro, Lashley hits him with a uh, spear, gets the disqualification, and the two beat down Riddle for good measure. Uh, we had a pretty decent match between AJ versus Drew Gulak. I just wrote down, it was okay, nothing nothing to write home about. Uh, we also had Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax going uh, up against Mandy Rose and uh, Dana Brooke. I almost said Sonya Deville there because I'm just so used to saying those two's names together, but obviously Sonya's now over on SmackDown, so, okay. Uh, but yes, uh, Mandy Rose tapped out to the Kirafuda Clutch. Uh, there seemed to be a little bit of dissension teased between Nia and Shayna, like there hasn't been a ton of that already up till this point. Uh, and then we get to the final Randy Orton-Triple H confrontation, nice little brawl between the two. Eventually, Triple H does get the upper hand, goes into the ring for a sledgehammer, goes into the ring, the lights in the Thunderdome start fading down, almost like the Fiend's coming in. At one point, Triple H, the head of Triple H's sledgehammer is lit on fire. 
Then the lights go out. Triple H just absolutely disappears off to God knows where. Um, we hear a distorted version of the Firefly Funhouse theme. Alexa Bliss is standing behind Randy Orton. She holds up her left hand, which says pain on the glove, and shoots a fireball in Randy's face, and Randy sells it like he legitimately just got blinded. Uh, and that is how Raw fades to black. What do you think? you think I got through that in a pretty quick fashion? I forgot I had both my mics turned off. It's all right. <laughs> I can no, cut yeah, this you out. Did a good job going through that. Yeah, cool. No, you did a good job going through both of that, actually. Um, to be honest... I, the only highlights I knew of Raw was Flair turning turning on Rick turning on his daughter, Randy getting the fireball and his promo with Triple H, and those are the only ones that kind of mattered. I mean, yeah. oh, and also Keith Lee breaking one of the turnbuckles against Morrison. Oh yeah, I remember that. They had to fix it in the middle of the match. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten to include that. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, Raw really has not been very entertaining to me, and I have been off for those kind of purposes. I've been dis ingenuous and I've been disappointed with how the storylines they've done I mean at least with Charlotte though if this is the way they're going with her then I'm glad because then she's not going to focus so much on the Raw Women's title she's that way it takes away the whole piss it takes the piss out of her challenging Asuka for Wrestlemania so if this is the way they're going to go with it I'm fine with that but let's hope it doesn't end after uh, February let's, let's have it keep going but knowing the WWE Vince probably wants to fast track as soon as possible, but you know. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But uh, yeah, the weirdest thing about Raw to me was all the people pulling double duty. You know, like matches back to back. You had uh, Jeff Hardy, you had Sheamus and Keith Lee, and you had freaking uh, Matt Riddle. You know, all just asking for match after match after match after match. And I'm just like, why? Why did we need to keep doing this? Why? And more importantly, yeah, doing it once. If you didn't done it once with the Keith Lee Sheamus thing, I would have been fine. But the fact that you kept repeating it just seemed really, really off to me, and I had no—I I, was—I I was just confused. It was just like, what purpose was there to this? There was a similar thing like that on SmackDown this week, which we'll get to momentarily. But yeah, overall, uh, Triple H, Randy Orton again, just a throwaway thing to continue the, the feud between Randy and Bray. And now there's uh, there's rumors speculating that because of what. Alexa did to Randy, he may miss the Rumble match this Sunday, uh, which would be interesting. Who knows? Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned the uh, Charlotte Flair, Ric Flair deal. I I wish I could give a damn. I really do. I really wish I could, but I just can't be bothered right now. Um, I think this is the third time they've had Charlotte try to de, um, pretty much, you know, uh, de- demoralize or, you know... Uh, degrade. You know, Degrade her, degrade Ric Flair. I'm like, there's other ways you can do this dynamic instead of just Charlotte going, "Oh, you're old, your time is gone, leave." And isn't Charlotte supposed to be a face? Why would she do that now? If she was a heel, it makes so much sense. But her as a face is kind of like, "Get out, leave. you're not needed anymore." You completely have messed up. Well, that was I, I want to say that was the way that they played it off last week, but. What actually ended up happening was Charlotte cut a promo before the match saying, look, my dad and I hash things out. You know, I love him, this and that. But he understands what's going on. Uh, you know, cooler heads have prevailed, this and that. And then he came in during the middle of the match and basically distracted Charlotte and tripped her up again and, you know, basically held her legs down so that uh, Lacey could pin him. So it's Rick turning heel on Charlotte, not the other way around. I didn't know that, but even then, if I had known about that promo before the match, 
Easy would have telegraphed me that Rick's going to turn his back on her. If, they, oh, if yeah. it was instead a backstage promo to where Charlotte apologizes to Rick face to face, and then we have that, then it's kind of like it's still it's still it's a better it's a better bait and switch than Charlotte having to do it in the ring though. Yeah. Fair enough. But anyway, uh, Rumble is coming up here in two weeks, so we just have to keep trucking along and try to manage the best we can with what we've got going. At least I believe it's in two weeks. Uh, let me go ahead and look that up really quick. But um, yeah, anything else really stand out to you about Monday Night Raw? No, honestly, didn't. Like I said, I just looked at the highlights, and even the highlights themselves didn't even give a lot. I mean, I'm kind of done with the Elias and Jeff Hardy thing. I thought... It was moving on to different paths, which was Elias feuding with AJ because from last from because when they had the whole almost save AJ from getting a guitar shot, I'm like, oh, this is a nice new little avenue for AJ to go on to, you know, still keep him. I mean, sure, he's not done with Drew McIntyre, but at least this was a nice little mini feud to keep him busy until you know, especially with Drew getting COVID, and, and now that the plan and, and it seems the plans with him and Goldberg are kind of being uh, kaput kibosh right now. Yeah, it did seem to me like AJ and Elias sound like the more better mini feud. That way, you can have both uh, almost and Riker be highlighted. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna speculate something here right now, but I've got I've got two possibilities for whoever's gonna win the Royal Rumble this year, and it's between two people. One of them is AJ Styles. Okay, because I can see a really good WrestleMania worthy match coming out of that. Um, the other one I'll get to uh, when we get over to SmackDown. But in any case, let's go ahead and take a look next at NXT. Quite a week for NXT. Uh, Shotzi Blackheart started off the night against Candice LeRae. Indy Hartwell, of course, is in Candice's corner. Eventually, uh, Candice LeRae is able to win after she hits a top rope swinging neckbreaker thanks to a distraction by Indy Hartwell. Uh, we get a Finn Balor promo where uh, he's talking about the match with Kyle O'Reilly last week. says, you know, um, it was a great match. The only difference between this one and uh, TakeOver 31 is now Kyle's the one eating his mo- uh, his meals through a straw. Thought that was a good line. Uh, eventually, Pete Dunne interrupts, says, basically, I'm coming for that NXT title. Eventually, uh, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roger Strong come in to save, uh, to fight off Pete Dunne. Uh, Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch basically give uh, Balor a little bit of backup. After this, we get a backstage interview with Johnny Gargano. He is talking up his uh, match with alongside Austin Theory with Kushida and Ruff in the Dusty Rhodes Classic next week. Uh, eventually, Theory comes in with a uh, manila envelope. It's got Dexter Loomis caricatures of both of them written in. They're actually kind of hilarious. Uh, then we get the Grizzled Young Veterans versus Everize in a round one matchup in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Uh, the Grizzled Young Vets are able to win after hitting Ticket to Mayhem uh, in order to advance. We get a Raquel Gonzalez vignette where she basically mentions she's put uh, Rhea Ripley in a rearview mirror. Now she's going after Io Shirai in the NXT Women's Championship. Makes sense. Uh, Shotzi gets a backstage interview where she talks about being disappointed in her loss to Candice LeRae earlier on in the night. But now she's refocusing towards the Women's Dusty uh, Rhodes Tag Team Classic starting next week. Uh, her partner is going to be Ember Moon, and that is that is a team I am absolutely on board with going the distance in this one, uh, one way or the other, but it's it looks awesome. Next up, we get Dexter, Dexter Loomis versus Johnny Gargano. Really good match overall. Uh, eventually, Gargano is able to pin Dexter Loomis after Austin Theory interferes. Uh, Loomis tries to get Theory in the silence lock, but again, Johnny rolls him up from behind. Afterwards, Loomis goes after Theory, tries to lock in the silence again, but is beaten down by both Theory and Gargano. Uh, we see a... 
uh, segment fighting out our uh, hyping up, excuse me, the fight pit match next week between Tommaso Ciampa and uh, Timothy Thatcher. So that'll be an interesting one. Uh, then we get to arguably what a lot of people are calling the match of the night from last week, which is Isaiah Swerve Scott and Jake Atlas taking on MSK and then the round one of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. MSK are, of course, the Rascals from Impact, just renamed. Uh, a very good, very high-flying, very just overall stellar match uh, on the part of both teams. But in the end, MSK is able to win after they hit what looks like a heart attack, but instead of a clothesline, it's a blockbuster that uh, the guy gets hit with, which I thought was an interesting little combo there. Next, we get Zia Lee versus an unnamed enhancement talent. They don't even get the opportunity to get her name out before she is squashed. And then in the main event, we have another round one matchup on the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic, the Undisputed Era versus Breezango. Uh, during the middle of the match, uh, Pete Dunne, Oni Lork, and Danny Birch come on down to attack Kyle O'Reilly, who is at ringside. They try to re-injure or aggravate the injury to his jaw when Finn Balor comes in to try to make the save. Again, uh, the other uh, the other guys, Danny uh, Birch, Lorcan, and Dunne, all just kind of have their own thing going on on the outside. There is a bit of a distraction in the ring, but eventually the Undisputed Air is able to win after Adam Cole catches Fandango with a super kick as Fandango is trying to come down for his leg drop. And there you go. Uh, so Undisputed Air is advancing, and it looks like things are really picking up ahead of whatever NXT takeover or event they have planned prior to Royal Rumble night. So, uh, Ryan, your thoughts overall from NXT? watch all of NXT, but at least the matches I did make sure I got to watch were amazing. Yeah, MSK, formerly the Rascals, minus Trey Miguel, they, this was definitely their breakout. Like, this is the reason why they are, this is one of the reasons why they are such a great team on Impact, and and they're showing here on NXT that their fast-paced style, their high-flying abilities, and just the kinetic energy they're able to do, I'm glad they came in as a team, and they didn't try to debut them as one-on-one competitors for the Cruiserweight division. Yeah. Because they work much better that way. I mean, sure, in Impact, they had their uh, they had their shots to be in the X Division, but one thing's for sure, there's a difference between the X Division and the Cruiserweight division. The X Division, that was exhibition is a week of its own, but still, that's a great match, and it was kind of interesting with Jake Atlas and with Isaiah Scott, especially with Scott, who's getting more aggressive, almost dangerously, like really, he heading towards the character turning, becoming a full fledged heel, and Jake Atlas on the other hand, he's becoming more aggressive and more trying to get wins, and I like how they have this kind of buddy rivalry with each other, so it added into some good prep, like. Good layering on how they're gonna gel as a team, but of course they didn't win, so we'll see where it goes down the line. Um, the Balor promo, I mean, just the, the storyline with Balor, Undisputed Era, and of course with uh, Pete Dunne and Birch and Lorcan, it was very good. It didn't, it wasn't just some one off, it lingered throughout the entire night. Like, yeah. Balor, Balor, I mean, I'm loving Balor as a character. I mean, I love the fact that. Now, he, he can't be the full prince he was in New Japan, but he is developing a different persona of the prince in NXT. And I'm glad he didn't get thoroughly hurt in his match against Kyle, Kyle O'Reilly, because now Again. he can continue moving forward. And I kind of want to see him as one of the first superstars to give Karrion Cross his first loss. Because mm. I don't think right now at this moment, Cross, I mean, Cross, it's, it's obvious, it's going to be him and Cross for the championship. But I see what. Balor, he's got this great edge to him. He can still hold on that championship a little longer. So when we get the eventual either rematch with O'Reilly or possibly a set, 
with it against him and Dunn and or him and Karrion Cross. Like he's got, I personally think he's got three great more main event matches for his championship run before he eventually loses it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think for right now, I think the money is on uh, Pete Dunn versus Finn Balor to be the most immediate match. If I if I'm yeah. Triple H, if I'm booking this thing with Karrion Cross and Finn Balor, I'm saving that for Takeover over WrestleMania weekend because that's your money. Mm, match. That's what they do. Yeah, yeah, that's your money match. So I I feel like especially going forward now with everything going on between Birch, Lorcan, and Dunn and the Undisputed Era, do we think that? Do we, do we see the Undisputed Era repeating? Or not obviously repeating because they didn't win last year, but do we see them becoming the first two-time winners of the Dusty Classic? I I mean, it's in the cards, but the fact that we had, the fact that Lorcan, Birch, and Dunn came out, I don't think it's going to happen again. I mean, aren't they already two-time winners? Because, no, wait, hold on. Because the first winners no, were I, the first winners were Finn Balor and Samoa Joe. Yeah, Samoa Joe. The winners Second after one. that were uh, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, O'Reilly. if I'm not mistaken. Then the next ones were because they've only done this three years in a row, right, or four years now, right? I'm, I believe it, yeah, I think it's either four or five. Because, um, because it's more than three, more than three. That's for sure. Yeah. Because uh, uh, last year it was Alistair Black and Ricochet. Well, I don't know. It was the year before. Oh, Alistair right. Black and Ricochet. Oh, it, 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 was, it was four times because. Yeah, because last the year. Time for the Classic, it, was very, it was a very short mini tournament. No, I think. I think. I don't remember. Somebody you know, correct we, us in the review. We can focus on this later. We can yeah, hang, on uh, here, you, you keep talking. I'm going to look this up. Yeah, go ahead. But if, if it is. I think the Undisputed Era, they do have this great new hill to climb, and especially now that all of them are faces, I like this idea that if they can recapture the Golden Prophecy, if they can do the Golden Prophecy again, Undisputed Era has absolutely clinched their, they've clinched their lineage and their legacy in NXT as the best faction of that brand. Ah, that's where, that's where I screwed up. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut in. Uh, The second ever Dusty Classic winners were the Authors of Pain. That's right. Then it then was, it was then it was undisputed era. Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. Then uh, Alistair Black and Ricochet. Ricochet. And then last year was the Broser Weights. Pete Dunne and yeah, Matt Riddle. Okay. So five, yeah, I knew it was more than four. But even now, if they do if they do win a second time, that would definitely clinch them as a team because I believe it is uh, Roderick and Cole. Yeah. So only it's the most upsetting part because I think Bobby Fish is a great wrestler. I just hate how he's always been unlucky with injuries. Yeah. But the fact that it's Roger and Cole, I like this tandem because then it can finally open an avenue for Fish to go for the North American Championship. Once again, to a different tandem of the Golden Prophecy. And as I said before, if they're able to capture it again, not this year, but sometime, it does submit them as the greatest NXT faction. But oh yeah, it all depends on their next match. If 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 Virgin Lorcan are going to interfere once again. I really thought they were going to lose when they interfered. Like, it was going to lead to Breezango getting the upset, but no, it led to them. But I kind of like that because then it leads to Breezango going after Birch and Lorcan, really taking the pressure off them, meaning Birch and Lorcan unfortunately caused more problems than they thought they had. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last thing we're going to talk about is um, pretty much just the women's side of it. Um, Look, Shotzi. I mean, I love the I love Gargano versus Loomis, but I don't want to keep always singing the praise of Gargano. 
Yeah. Well, it just goes to show that NXT, for despite how much Vince McMahon may or may not watch it, is the the shining star of WWE programming right now because it has the most interesting storylines. It has you know stuff that keeps you tuned in week to week. It you know the matches are always stellar and the characters are ones that you can easily identify with. And granted, you know I don't think Dexter Loomis is one that you can you know identify with too easily. But let's <laughs> face it. He, he definitely is. He's got that silent, almost like Norman Bates, almost like Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers kind of thing going on. And it's just, it's, it's awkward sometimes, but Hey, he's one of their most popular baby faces right now, despite, you know, his, the obvious misgivings with who he might be. But in any case, sure. overall, like I said, uh, match of the night to me was MSK versus uh, Swerve Scott and Atlas. Like that was, just absolute brilliant tag team wrestling. Just great, great stuff overall. Um, uh, I do like the the continued uh, the continued stuff with Kushida and Gargano, as well as uh, Loomis and Gargano, as well as uh, Candice Lurie and Shotzi Blackheart, because I think those are going to be your two big ones for Takeover. Whether it's over Royal Rumble weekend or if it's closer to uh, a little closer to Mania, is yeah, I think we're going to get Shotzi Blackheart versus Candice Lurie, and then we're obviously going to get. Johnny Gargano defending the North American Championship either against Kushida or against Dexter Loomis or maybe both. You know, who knows? But one way or the other, it will be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. All right. So let's get into SmackDown here really quick. This will be my last little uh, long-winded pontification for this time around until uh, Ryan calls on me to comment on Impact and AEW. But yes, uh, so obviously Roman Reigns we see is throwing stipulations at Adam Pearce for their match at the Royal Rumble. Uh, he tells Paul Heyman to go handle it. Next we get Jay Uso going up against Shinsuke Nakamura. Uso cuts a really interesting promo, a little bit of a rambling promo prior to the start of the match. But eventually Shinsuke cuts him off with his face theme music. Yes, he has the face theme music back. No more, you know, over ridiculous guitar and lyrics over top and things like that. Uh, good match overall. Eventually Cesaro comes down in the middle of the match, joins the commentary team. And this is the one thing I was talking about. If Monday Night Raw was the night of people pulling double duty, SmackDown was the night of unnecessary commentary hoppers. Like, there were so many of them, and we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, eventually, Jay tries to roll up Nakamura, but he has his feet on the ropes. The referee catches it, nullifies the pinfall. Nakamura then rolls Jimmy up, but then uh, lets him out of it so he can hit the Kinshasa for the win. Uh, Shinsuke keeps his momentum. Moving on towards the Rumble. Uh, eventually, uh, Paul Heyman meets up with Adam Pearce backstage along with Sonya Deville to inform Adam that there has been a no-DQ stipulation added to their match at the Royal Rumble. Pearce says, fine, whatever signs the contract sends Heyman on his way. Uh, we get a promo from the Street Profits uh, addressing their loss to Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler last week. I'm sorry, Robert Roode. I always do that. Uh, so yeah, they basically say, Hey, you know, yeah, we got our, we got our asses knocked down last week, but we're not, uh, knocked out. We're going to get back up. We're going to come back for those belts. We want the smoke. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, we see an interesting shot of Roman backstage talking with Apollo Crews of all people. Um, who know they were on speaking terms. I wasn't really, I mean, obviously we had that one moment on talking smack a couple of weeks ago where, um, you know, Paul Heyman was trying to hype up Apollo and Apollo was, you know, kind of showing a shift in attitude, but okay, I guess something grew out of that. Uh, eventually, Heyman comes in and says, here you go, contract signed, no DQ stipulation, Roman's not happy about it, 
Roman says he wants a last man standing match. Go give this to Pierce. We're going to finish signing it in the ring later tonight. And then I will consider this handled. Uh, next up, we get Liv Morgan ver- uh, alongside Ruby Wright and Billy Kay up against Natalia, who has Tamina with her. Uh, Billy Kay is once again over on commentary. And again, while she's funny, why was this necessary? Uh, eventually, Billy Kay tries to, you know, distract Natalia and cause a whole bunch of chaos. Eventually, she ends up running through the ring, causing Liv to get distracted, which allows Natalia to pin Liv Morgan after Billy Kay has made a mess of everything. Uh, after that, we get King Corbin in the ring against Rey Mysterio. He, uh, King Corbin obviously attacked both Dominic and Rey uh, before he went into his match with Shinsuke last week during the gauntlet. Dominic is on commentary. Please, God, do not ever do this again. Uh, I like Dominic. Don't get me wrong. He's a good in-ring talent, but he is not near skilled enough on the mic yet to be sitting in commentary. He is boring as all get out. He's got the personality of sandpaper when it comes to that. Please don't ever do it again. Uh, but eventually, uh, Dominic tries to get involved, but uh, Ray tries to hold him back. Corbin is then able to hit the end of days and pins Ray Mysterio for the win. Afterwards, Ray and Dominic are backstage. Dominic is obviously pissed. He's not going to let uh, Corbin walk all over his dad, a guy who's been fighting giants his whole life. Ray's like, I get it, but you can't go rushing into a battle with Baron Corbin without a plan, so let's come up with one. Uh, then we get the uh, introduction of the Ding Dong Hello Show, uh, hosted by Bailey with Bianca Belair. After a good amount of back and forth and insult trading, Bailey challenges Bianca Belair to an obstacle course next week on SmackDown. Um, don't know how wise that was for uh, an athlete the level of Bianca Belair who went uh, to the University of Tennessee, which is right down the road from me. So shout out to UT. Uh, then we had the, again, match of the night, an instant classic, Daniel Bryan versus Cesaro. Holy hell, this was a great match. This, this match harkened back to me to a lot of those matches we got with Sami Zayn and Cesaro back in NXT. This match was great, uh, but eventually Cesaro is able to get the win over Daniel Bryan with the neutralizer. Again, Daniel Bryan, and we know his contract is getting ready to come up, so he's obviously putting over a lot of the younger talent on his way out. Uh, after that, we get a backstage promo with Carmella, who has her sommelier Reginald with him, or with her, excuse me. Eventually, Sasha comes in after one too many shots are thrown. Sasha says, you want your... Uh, you want your rematch for the SmackDown Women's title, uh, Carmella? Fine. But I want your buddy Reggie here in a match first. Uh, then we get Apollo Crews versus Sami Zayn. Biggie is on commentary out of the uh, out on a big old comfy couch uh, out of the ringside, which I thought was hilarious. And even more hilarious was the fact that he was wearing what looked like an ugly Ghostbusters Christmas sweater, which I thought was hysterical. Um, but eventually, uh, Sami tries to pin Apollo with a handful of tights. Apollo then turns things around and gets the handful of tights on Sammy in order to pin and win. And he makes his intentions known to Big E. It's like, I'm coming for that Intercontinental Championship. Last but not least, we have the contract signing for the match between Roman Reigns and Adam Pearce at the Royal Rumble. Uh, Pearce signs the contract after a big game of musical chairs and a whole bunch of, you know, just posturing and, you know, chest beating and everything like that. As he's walking up the ramp, he starts to act like he almost had a trick in his knee. He starts limping a little bit up the up the ramp. Uh, he tries to explain what's going on, but for the life of me, you can't hear a damn thing he's saying because his mic keeps cutting in and out. What the fuck? Kevin Dunn, get your shit together in the production truck. Dude. Um, so he says, you know, uh, I've got an old knee injury. You know, it keeps cropping up. It's one of those things I got from those matches years and years ago. But don't worry. As you know, all WWE contracts do state cards subject to change. I don't think I'm going to be cleared by uh, the Royal Rumble, but... 
not to worry. I have the opportunity, uh, the option as a WWE official in order to choose a suitable role of placement, which I already have. It's Kevin Owens. So Kevin Owens comes out, signs the contract, makes it official. Roman Reigns will be defending the Universal Championship against Kevin Owens in a last man standing match at the Royal Rumble. And that is where we leave SmackDown on Friday night with Roman Reigns seething at the head of the table in the middle of the ring. Uh, like I said, quite an event for Friday night, but like I said, a tale of two shows this week. One with way too many double bookings, the other one with way too many people on commentary. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts? I do like that swerve at the end, because to be honest, um, I like Roman's heel character, but then after what happened last week, the fact that there was no... Uh, the fact that they didn't actually try to, you know, telegraph it early on, you know, like it was going to be this whole... I, 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 just, I legitimately thought someone was going to interrupt the signing to push for a match to get into the, you know, to fight Roman Reigns, but I love the fact that they're not showing Adam Pearce as some pushover that he is not going to take all of Roman Reigns' BS. If Roman Reigns doesn't want to play ball, Pierce is going to make him remember, you may be the head of the table, but I'm the man in charge. Which, again, we never saw anybody really give him that on-screen authority or anything like that. It's just something that he just came in and took. But, yeah, yeah, we're we're, based on the way that commentary acts and things like that, we're meant to know, oh, this is a WWE official, you know, Adam Pierce. he, he, He carries weight. It's like, from who? We've never seen Vince or Triple H or Stephanie or anybody give him any form of authority. So, yeah, in a way, I can understand why Roman wouldn't really respond to this guy. It's like, who are you to tell me what to do? You're a nobody. There's no way in hell I'm listening to you because you have not been given authority by anybody as far as I can tell. But, no, your your point still stands. Go ahead. No, I was going to really agree with you. This is one of the reasons why I think Vince is truly losing his grip on everything because... He used to have been, he, he was always able to really slowly book. He had a good job booking administrative, like, uh, rep- like, uh, uh, like officials, like in seats of power. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, it's just more of they show up on screen and now all of a sudden he wants us to obviously recognize this person. Like, he's going like, oh, you have the WWE Network, so you should be able to know who this guy is. No, stop getting lazy. We don't know anything unless you're able to give us a good, like, you're able to tell us. And at the same time, you're the same guy who has his hands on everything from start to finish at, before the show begins till the show ends. You're not going to tell me you you told you at least improvise something to commentary to tell everyone who Adam Pierce is? No. That's one of the reasons why I don't follow everything he does. But throughout the entire show, the only thing that did catch my attention was, yeah, Apollo Crews in the same, in Roman Reigns' dressing room, which was surprising. Um, it seems to me that it looks like Apollo's new aggressive attitude seems to more, he, he wants to align himself with Roman, to where now he feels that if he can't get everything he wants, then he's going to, you know, be like Roman, you know, he's going to want to take it. It's possible. Could he and, be a factor in the last man standing match at the Rumble? Maybe. Yeah, that's one thing that alludes to. And then, uh, of course, yeah, the return of Nakamura's old music, I'm happy about that. Woo! I, I understood. Yeah, I understood with the with the with the guitar riff and with the uh, lyrics overwise. It was WWE's way to, in order to make sure he gets over as a heel, that nobody sings along yeah. to it. And during the time of live crowds, it was working. But at the most last Royal Rumble, that crowd did not give a that 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 crowd showed no fucks given. They still no. sang a lot to that song. 
Yep. But even then, if this is a if this is a step towards Shinsuke becoming a face again, great. I understand. I mean, I don't know if Shinsuke really has the motivation, but I think Shinsuke deserves another main title, a main title push. He, I think he and Roman can really give each other one hell of a good match. Um, but yeah, the whole constant commentary thing, yeah, it was with Cesaro, to Dominic, to Billy Kay, Big E. At least with Billy Kay and Big E, I was more inter. Yeah, my apologies there, James. Apparently, my brother. I can edit this out. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. Apparently, uh, with Cesaro, his his is kind of the worst. Honestly, I can get over Dominic because at least he's trying to you know be a character. With Cesaro, his was just more of oh, I I just they just threw me out here, so I just gotta talk on the mic. With Billy Kay, though, at least with her character, she has been one hundred ever since the breakup of the Iconics from getting to SmackDown. She has found herself a niche, and she is 100% selling it, regardless if you like it or hate it. I am 100% enjoying it, because Billy Kay, she is showing that I may not, you may not like me, you may not want to see me as a wrestler, but I'm going to get myself over as a character to where you're going to want, and she's taking the ball and running with it as well, which is why I love it. Yeah, I give her and, credit for uh, that. I mean, it may it may be grating, like, let's face it, Billy Kay's voice has always been a little bit grating, like, as were pretty much everything the Iconics did, but she's she's putting her all into it and, you know, trying to dress the part of the Riot Squad without completely, just absolutely ridiculously overdoing her, her look and things like that. And it, it works, kinda, I guess. Yeah. At least one little notch with her joining the Riot Squad. I like the fact that Ruby and Liv, they're not trying to treat her off as if... Uh, they're not trying to rub her off the wrong way. They're not trying to distance them, this distance themselves. I mean, clearly, you see with Ruby, with her expressions, she, she's not okay with this. But at least with Liv, though, she's also in the same boat. But, you know, she's willing to at least have, she's willing to at least give it a shot. Like, I know it's not going to be the exact right squad, but at least with Liv and Ruby, Billy Kay can hopefully be the uh, added insurance whenever they're going to do teams matches or, yeah. you know, uh, for you know for backup. But the question becomes then: the question becomes then: how long before Billy Kay's desire to be in the spotlight starts to try to drive a wedge between the two Riot Squad members, and do they recognize it, and do they allow it to happen? So, yeah, that, at least at least at least oh, Avenue opens to where this is going to go. What's going to happen? I don't know. But um, and then of course, um, let me see. Honestly, that, that that's oh yeah, the Ding Dong Hello Show, Hello Ding Dong Show. Yeah. That feels to me that we're you had it right the first time. I'm gonna say you had yeah, it right the first I, time because Bailey's thing is Ding Dong Hello, like that's her whole. Yeah, thing. I mean it worked when she was the champion though. I don't see how it's getting off with her now. That I she's don't know. Not the champion though I will anymore. say her 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 attire is almost like a halfway between a like an Oprah Winfrey Ellen DeGeneres kind of thing. Did have me kind of giggling. Yeah, I do like the fact that she is going over the top with this, so I don't mind that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, again, you, like, like you mentioned before, the commitment to it is, is part of what makes it work. Yes, but then of course this whole thing with Bianca Belair, I'm like Bailey, you do realize that she is a very she's a very great athlete, and but at least she and Bianca they're having a good back and forth with each other. Yeah. So the moment they do actually wrestle in a legit match, I know it's going to be good. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna you know see how long this train goes. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, um, like I said, my match of the night was obviously Cesaro versus Daniel Bryan because let's face it, we know 
how good those two are. And a matter of fact, I can't remember who it was, whether it was Kurt Angle or one of the two guys who owns the school. But one of uh, I saw a tweet that said, uh, to everybody who goes to Flatbacks Wrestling Academy, which is Tyler Breeze and Sean Spears' wrestling school, he said, watch this match. This is how you effing do it. So I'm just like, hey, you know, uh, obviously they're getting props and they're obviously being a, a – in an example of a overall technical masterpiece is a huge deal. So, um, so anyway, that brings me to what I was mentioning before, how I said, if anybody I felt like was in a, in a good spot to win the rumble this year on raw, I would have to say AJ styles on SmackDown. I would say it's probably Daniel Bryan. He's been on a bit of a losing streak lately, but how many times have we seen like money in the bank winners or Royal rumble winners go on a bit of a losing streak only to, pull out the big win, and then manage to keep that momentum going into the, the match at Mania. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, uh, it, it may not be as obvious to a lot of Pete, to a lot of WWE fans, but it, 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 it is there. Um, I mean, the most big, the biggest examples I can think of was, of course, Seth Rollins when he was with the Authority. He was always getting his, he was always getting his butt, his ass handed to him by Dean Ambrose. Nothing was ever coming up his way. So when he won the Money in the Bank, that's when things started to turn around for him. Uh, he became WWE champion, then he became U.S. champion, double belted, and you even see the same with a few other guys like uh, with Otis. I mean, sure, Otis he didn't have a losing streak, but for his character, it was just more of he may have not probably always won everything or the, got the right matches won, but he always came out on top or he always had, because he had Mandy on his side. And even with Baron Corbin as the heel, getting his ass handed to him, he won. The only few exceptions we see out of people who are on losing streaks and winning the Money in the Bank or Burr Rumble was Nakamura last year. Was Nakamura, Nakamura won? 2018. When, uh, yeah, 2018. Also, when uh, John Cena, when he won the Money in the Bank. I mean, sure, there's a different set of circumstances there. There is. Slightly. But still. Yeah, because John Cena, when he won that, it was like it was his worst year of the company in his mind. I mean, yeah. to be fair, he cashed in like, what, two weeks later? Yeah, he did. Yeah. But he still fell. Uh, but yeah. even then, I mean, also, another example was... Um, I was going to say CM Punk, the both times he went back-to-back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I want to keep thinking of more, but I don't want to keep stretching out time here. I mean, the, if you really look back at these matches, if you really look at the if – the, if you really have to look back at the year and the build-up to Money in the Bank or to the Royal Rumble, the odds are there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, that is going to wrap it up for our examination of WWE last week. We will be back with our look at Impact and AEW, as well as our review of Impact's Hard to Kill pay-per-view in just a little bit. But before then, we're going to go ahead and entertain you guys with a brief word from our sponsors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the weekly ramble at the Wrestling Ramblings and Rages podcast. We hope you enjoyed that brief little message, but now we move into the Impact and AEW portion of the show. So, Ryan, take it away, my friend. All right, with pleasure. I'm going to quickly start us off with Impact Wrestling. Uh, this week on Impact, everything, every match that happened and every skit was just a quick build-up to Hard to Kill. So I'll just quickly go over. Opening match, we had Taya going up against Kimberly, pretty much... Taya wanting to get herself like a good victory over her before she faces off against Deanna for the Impact Women's Championship. But the match doesn't unfortunately end in her favor because towards the end of the match, Taya was in control. Kimberly gets knocked out of the ring, you think. Uh, but then 
when uh, Rosemary gets herself involved and she chases Deanna away, all of a sudden Pop comes off, comes from the back, is Susan, the alternate persona of Sue Young, who assists uh, Deanna in holding down Rosemary, which distracts Taya for Kimberly to roll up and get the win. Huh. And then later on, we had we had ourselves uh, back-to-back Good Brothers and Kenny Skit, and then with an AEW commercial ad with Tony Khan and Tony Schiavone. Pretty much Tony Khan doing the same thing, to, you know, taking shots at Don Callis and going like, yeah, I paid for all this. I'm allowing Kenny to be here. And it's like, you didn't know this would happen if it wasn't for me. You know, once again, showing his head. And then we had ourselves a team's match between Chris Bay and Rohit Raju versus Manic and Suicide. Manic being the X Division champion. And of course, this is a buildup to the triple threat X Division match between Bay, Rohit, and Manic. Now, it's a simple tag team match, but it was very good and quick paced. Uh, Manic, who, of course, if people have watched the show, obviously know as TJP under the mask. And, of course, the fact with Manic and Suicide is a kind of like a good little uh, wrestling Easter egg because TJP, because TJP wrestled as both of these personas during the time of TNA and Impact. Uh, but in the end, it ends to where Bay and Rohit, Bay and Rohit win. After um, when Manic and Suicide did a double octopus stress to get them to uh, submit, Rohit is able to get Bay to focus to get pull out and, you know, reverse from the, you know, they both reach out to each other, grab each other's hands, and they cause a breakup of the submission pin. But then later on, it leads to where Suicide was going to do his finishing move, but Rohit takes an opportunity to, to uh, stop it, but then Bay gets it with his finishing move to win. Okay, moving on forward, we also had a quick, we also had another team, we had another a match, and it was between uh, the newly healed Cody Diener, along with Eric Young and Joe Doring versus Tommy Dreamer, another build-up to the uh, six old-school rules six-man match that's going to happen at Hard to Kill. This was just a quick match happening. Uh, Diener showing his more heelish persona, being more aggressive, atta- attacking Dreamer at almost every chance he got, although when action did spill out into the ring, don't. Unfortunately, Rhino and Doreen got involved with each other Young and Jake, but the ref, instead of ejecting all four of the men, he only ejects Doreen and Young, So, which leads later on into the match when Diener knocks out Rhino. He gets confronted by Cousin Jake. He attacks Jake, and Jake, of course, holding himself back, wanting to, wanting to attack Diener. Unfortunately, sooner or later, he couldn't, he couldn't you know, resist. He knocks down Diener from the ring, causing Diener to win by DQ. And we just get a post-match assault from Young, Doran, and Diener taking out Dreamer, Rhino, and Jake. And then following that, we had ourselves a big quick segment, pretty much just a simple contract signing between Havoc and Nevaeh and Kira and Tasha for the knockout tag team championship match that will also happen hard to kill. Pretty much Tasha and Kira playing as the heels, talking up, saying they're going to take them down. Havoc and Nevaeh playing the intimidating card by pushing up against the wall throttling them and telling them, by hard to kill, we're going to beat you. And which leads us into a match between Tennille Dashwood and Rosemary. And this was another, just a quick match. Rosemary, I think this was from last week, Tennille wanted to possibly uh, ally herself with Rosemary or get Rosemary to ally with her. But because of Tennille's persona, she's all ego-driven. So Rosemary kind of took offense to that, which led to a match between them. During the bout, uh... Tennille's personal camera assistant and partner, Caleb, with a K, and that's his ring name, guys. I'm not saying that to, for clarification. He, ever, he always introduces himself as Caleb with a K. He tries to get himself involved 
and trying to distract the referee, but he ends up getting pulled down the ring by Crazy Steve, Rosemary's old team partner from their faction of Decay, which also leads to a... Now, to clarify, they didn't break up or so. It's just Rosemary went in a different direction, same as Crazy Steve, but they always had that same connection, which also... And, but in the end, Rosemary wins the match by getting a spear on Neil for the victory. And then the next match, we had Moose going up one-on-one -on -one against Matthew Palmer. This is pretty much a rubber match from the three-minute challenge, but this is an official match. And this is just Moose being dumb about the entire match. He's making, he's punishing Palmer for lasting three minutes with him. But Palmer does get himself some quick glimpse of, like, I would call glimpse of glory and glimpse of hope. He's able to get Moose against the ropes, but he's never able to knock Moose down on his feet. That's the main point of the match. He brings Moose down to a knee at first, but every time he tries to capitalize on trying to knock him down, Moose counteracts by taking him down and then punishes him. Ref throws out the match because Moose, every time he ends a match, he when he pins an opponent down, instead of pinning them, he just viciously strikes them with elbows across the temple of the head, which caused the ref to throw out the match. Now, I don't know if it means Moose won or Matthew Palmer won. That wasn't really clarified by commentary. Right. And then finally, our... And then finally, our main event of the match was Carl Anderson versus Rich Swan. Pretty much just like who's going to get like some momentum going in for the this ultimate six-man match that's going to happen at Hard to Kill. This was a good match going back and forth. No, none of the nobody was there representing. Motor Machine Guns weren't there, and of course Gal and of course Anderson and Omega were in their trailer park. So it was pretty much just a test of skill and will between Swan and Anderson. And Anderson, and Anderson unfortunately, when he tries to go for his is a fin his stunner finisher, Rich reverses it into a roll up for the victory. And then after the match, when Rich Swan is leaving, celebrating, uh, Kenny and uh, Gallows, of course, upset, they leave the tour bus. But it's not known where they're going. But then it cuts to a camera of the Motor City Machine Guns watching the match, pretty much saying that we gotta do we gotta do the exact same thing for at Hard to Kill. But then of course Kenny and and, and Gallows bust into the room and they attack the Motor City Machine Guns. Rich Swan comes in much later to even the odds. Then Anderson is not that far behind. Of course, in the end, Kenny and the Good Brothers are you know well it doesn't no one's victorious, but they have mostly the upper hand when camera cuts to black. And that's pretty much all of impact. Uh, after full one, I've been telling from for pretty much from my review, James. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, this is the one thing that I think really sets uh, impact and AEW apart from WWE is when they're building to a pay per view and they do a go home to a pay per view. They really do a go home. They make sure that everything has some form of significance going into that into that pay per view. So, uh, yeah, I think. Obviously, the, the one that stands out to me is, I mean, I, I thought it was a great match between uh, Anderson and Swan. I thought it was a great thing. Obviously, um, I was super into the idea of the, the old school rules match with uh, regards to Tommy Dreamer, Rhino, and uh, Cousin Jake against, yeah. Yeah, against Diener, uh, Eric Young, and Joe Doring. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, the dynamic between uh, seeing the the return of the dynamic between Crazy Steve and Rosemary, I thought was great, especially knowing what I know now about Crazy Steve with him being legally blind. I think is great just to see him be able to to work and do what he does at the level that he does. I think is fantastic. So yeah, overall, I thought it was a great build, a great you know go home show for a pay per view, and yeah, there were just like I said, so much good chemistry among, and you can tell the impact people are putting their all into this because it seems like a lot of them are very, very, you know, 
passionate about what they're doing. Some of them not yeah. so much because we we heard a little something uh, regarding uh, a certain all ego individual who wasn't too sold yeah, on a few things. We but were, we'll get we'll to that. Get more time when we talk about the pay per view. Yeah, we'll get to that at another uh, another point in the show, and then of course, um, you know, like I, like I was saying, I mean, there's there's you can just tell a lot of the the people there are still having a ton of fun, and I think the the creative juices are really starting to flow with these guys a little bit more with this AEW partnership because they see the 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 concept of what could happen with this talent exchange, if you will. It's like right now it's mainly just the Good Brothers and things like that, but imagine when more and more and more of them get the opportunity to shine on that program. I think right now the main reason they're keeping it just to the Good Brothers and Kenny Omega is, again, they're testing the water to see if this pops ratings for both shows. If it does and it doesn't consistently, then obviously, you know, the rising tide raises all ships. So, it you know, it'll allow a lot more of the talent to be seen on a bigger stage if they end up on going to TNT one day to do an in, uh, uh, Impact Invasion thing over on Dynamite. So... Honestly, I am 100% on board with with Impact. I know I fell off for a while after, you know, the whole Dixieland debacle and shit like that from back in the day. But um, with what I'm seeing now, it definitely seems like there's a lot more upside to Impact being run by Don Callis and uh, Scott Demore and all of that sort of thing going on, as opposed to when Dixie Carter was in charge. Yeah, and I don't blame you. After the Dixieland debacle, he was even more difficult. Even when they brought in the whole, even when they brought, even when they had MVP come in as a sort of another imagined potential. But even when Dixie Carter left, it was still difficult to keep watching. Even though Bobby Lashley had his best run, Drew, Drew Galloway before he became McIntyre again had his best run Impact, and even Eli Drake became a big star during that time of Impact. Hell, EC three. EC three exactly, and even Matt Hardy with his re his reemergence there. So. I can understand it was definitely difficult. But then, of course, um, but even now, it looks like Impact, despite Sands one wrestler, maybe a few wrestlers, they are finding their foot again, and this and this interpromotional opportunity with AEW looks like it's going to help benefit not just the company, but also the wrestlers on that screen. Yeah, absolutely agree. Speaking of the other half of that, uh, of that partnership... What went down with AEW this week? Okay, with AEW, it was their second week of their New Year's Bash, and pretty much smash. this one... Yeah, Smash, sorry. I keep thinking of uh, Bash the Beach, but... <laughs> yeah, think Smash like Smash Bros. Yeah. But if people loved Night 1, Night 2, it was... I mean, if people... Uh, right now, both of these weeks, they are definitely completely different. Some will think Night 1 was the more top-heavy of the, of the card... But looking at night two, it did not disappoint in his rush of matches. And going in, first, the match that kicked off the night was the final, the event, the grudge match between Eddie Kingston and Pac. And for, if those who got to watch AEW's Road to New Year's Bash, the promo videos they had for a few of their matches were fantastic. I mean, but even if you didn't watch those, they replayed them again on AEW Dynamite. So I don't need to reiterate what happened on those but even then, Kingston versus Pac, 100% a drag-out fight. Lucha Brothers were there for Pac, and then you butchered the blade and the bunny there for Kingston. Pretty much two warring groups who pretty much have, there's no, no, there's no good blood. It's all bad blood between every single one of them. 
during the match, Pac, who is definitely showing a more brutal attitude, but at the same time, it's the motion that keeps him distracted that, that's allowing Kingston to always capitalize on him. And one instance happens when he falls out of the ring. Ali, who who was able to slip past the ref's distraction from the Butcher and the Blade and the Lucha Bros, grates against Pac's eyes, which does hinder him throughout the entire match. But ultimately, Pac is able to overcome and win by getting the Black Arrow and then for the pin. But then after the match, he puts on the Brutalizer, which then allows the Butcher and the Blade to come in, and then there then comes uh, Ray, and then of course the, the Lucha Bros. And then while they're all having a standoff with each other, as if, you know, this ain't, this ain't over, who comes out? Lance Archer, wanting his piece of Kingston. But Kingston and the guys, they back away. But then Lance, and unfortunately, Lance and Pac are still not on the exact same page. Because Lance, there's a, there's a talk between the two of them. You can't hear what they say. But ultimately, I think Lance is pretty much saying to t telling Pac, you had your shot at him. Now it's my turn. And stay out of my way. And then the match after that, it is the stipulation match between Chuck Taylor of the Best Friends with Orange Cassidy going up against Miro with Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford. The, situ the stipulation is that if Chuck loses, he has to be Miro's butler or young boy until all the way leading up to the wedding. Yeah, and, and if, I, if I may interject here really quick, I, I saw a lot of people kind of, kind of, you know, going off on that whole stipulation is like why why would they call it him being a butler on commentary why don't they just call him a young boy well think about what the idea of young boys in american context typically is and what that's associated with got it yeah pretty sure tnt doesn't want that going on continue sir no problem they don't want that confusion but going throughout this match i have to admit this is the best showing of miro that we've had so far since his time in AEW. i'm guessing i believe now miro he's becoming more adjusted to AEW. Or the fact that he and Chuck Taylor have experienced in the past. They were just able to put on such a great wrestling match with each other. But one thing that was happening throughout the entire match, you see that on the outside, you see Kip and Penelope really you know, into this match. And of course, Orange Cassidy being his own self, not putting much effort, but he's still there to support Chuck. And there are moments in the match where you think Chuck is going to come out on top. But in the end, Miro just steamrolls over him. He puts on the game over submission for the victory. And then... It's not until when it's like until maybe a minute after that bell rings, it hits Orange Cassidy. Well, even before then, Orange Cassidy tries to get himself involved, but he gets blindsided by Kip Sabian. So once that submission is held, and then and then Miro, he just drags Chuck out of the ring, and then you know the camera does this great fixation on Cassidy to where he realizes that he's lost another friend of his to Miro, which I believe is going to build to Miro versus Orange Cassidy. Either at a dynamite or going to be at revolution, but that's but that's going to be waiting until until we see it on the next dynamite. Following that, we had a quick segment with the uh, private party and uh, and Matt Hardy, pretty much talking with Dasha and that private party is happy about this new partnership they have, but ultimately they're just they're not happy about it because Matt, being big money Matt had them sign a contract to where he gets thirty percent of their earnings and not just thirty in total. 30, 30 each, and then on a BTE skit, he ended up getting, there was a fine print to where he gets some extra bonuses from their third-party contracts. Pretty much, Matt screwing over private party, doing this whole, oh, you don't like what happened? Well, tough luck, I taught you guys a lesson. Always read the fine print. 
pretty much making fun of the whole segment of them being young so they don't understand the wrestling business and Matt being the veteran so he understands everything. Pretty much the, the young and old dynamic, the generation gap. Which, mm-hmm. afterwards, we bleed into the Inner Circle's New Year resolutions. Now, this pretty much is once again showing divide amongst the Inner Circle. Uh, Jericho, they're all saying what they want to do for the resolutions, but ultimately, Jericho, Jericho's Inner Resolution is that he wants that he wants to team with MGF to win the tag team championships, which then draws ire of of uh, Santana, who said, "I thought we're the tag team in the inner circle. You recruited us because we are the tag team." And then Sammy gets involved by saying, first off, I thought we were the tag team, Let's Sex Gods," and then he tag team with Hager, and then with MJF, and then he calls him a tag team slut, which gets a little bit of a pop from the audience. And then Jericho, not even denying it, or when he, when someone accuses him, like, are you going to team with Santana next? Maybe, you know. <laughs> but ultimately, it leads to a dynamite match, a triple threat tag team match amongst the inner circle. It's going to be Jericho, MJF, versus Santana Ortiz, versus Sammy and Hagar to determine who is going to be the tag team of the inner circle. So from this one, we once again, we, we are seeing another uh, chapter that the inner circles are not as united as they think they are. I mean, at least as Jericho believes that they are. The cracks are constantly showing to where it's either going to be an inner circle civil war or it's just going to be a breakaway or Jericho's going to walk away with no allies. And then after that, another quick segment, but it's pretty much just the Dark Order, and it's another tease of next week on Dynamite to where the Dark Order wants a team with Hangman next week, and if if they win, they want to know if Hangman will join the Dark Order. And, of course, Hangman gets nudged into it, and he agrees. And the reason why it's important, because on that Dynamite, it's going to be Negative One's birthday. So it's pretty much huge stakes set up. If Hangman agrees to join, it's pretty much, will Hangman join or not? So, And at the same time, it's still a little bit of a murky situation to where people are not – I mean, some people, because of what happened with – unfortunately, the passing of Brody Lee, many people are naturally assuming that the Dark Order are faces. But to be honest – they have never really addressed that situation yet. They've just let it out there in the ether. I believe that week is going to de- determine where they're going to move forward with the Dark Order. But I don't want to spend too much time as they move on to pretty much, I won't say a controversy, but pretty much a highlight of AEW Dark, which was booked, which was marketed to say it was the Elite going, returning in action. It was going to, and it, it was going to be the Elite versus Varsity Blondes, which is the team of Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. versus Danny Limelight, who has had himself a good couple of showings on AEW Dark. Now, the Varsity Blondes and Limelight come out first, and then comes out Don Callis introducing Kenny Omega. And then Don Callis, he's on the mic, and he's pretty much hyping up his partner, saying, these are Kenny and good best friends. These are your tag team champions. And before he says Young Bucks, he swerves and said, it's the Good Brothers. And then you see Gallows and Anderson coming out from the crowd, no music, but just swirling their tag team championships in gear. And then it cuts the back where you see the Bucks and Tony Khan looking at a screen, not happy about it. But it is what it is. And then throughout the match, it's pretty much just the Varsity Blondes showing themselves as a good tag team, but they're not that good enough against the Good Brothers to where they just dominate through the match. But Danny Limelight actually gets to show himself with a couple of highlights by getting some quick one-ups on Anderson. And against Omega. But in the end, Kenny and the Good Brothers win the match. And as they're celebrating in the ring, who have, whose music hits? 
John Moxley as he is coming to the ring, and he of course he's it's a three on one situation, but of course Moxley does not give a damn. He's that kind of he pretty much showing off his character. He goes in, takes a beeline to Kenny Omega, but then of course the brothers grab him, but he fights them off for a moment, but then the numbers gang up on him again. But then comes in the Lucha Brothers, I think in a way trying to pay back Moxley for helping out Ray Phoenix, and then comes an, then of course everybody. A more wrestlers start getting involved in a pull-apart. You have the Young Bucks come out trying to hold off Moxley, and then it's just like this standoff, and then the Lucha Brothers slide into the ring, and they give the Young Bucks the super kicks, and then you have Moxley and the Lucha Brothers standing tall in the ring while there's a whole big fight happening on the outside, and Kenny Omega and Don Callis just slip away to the back. Uh, and then I think, well, it doesn't end that first half, but that's like that's pretty much where I would say act one of the show ends. <laughs> and then moving into where it must the start of the second act, and personally, in my opinion, the worst moment of the show, the waiting room, Britt Baker's show, the waiting room with Cody Rhodes. Now, unfortunately, Britt Baker's a great character, but unfortunately, this was just a terrible skit because it starts with Britt Baker. She introduced Cody Rhodes. She's questioning Cody, of course, Randy's pregnancy. Cody not having a great year, and of course the Go Big Show. Before Cody can say anything, Britt stops her, Britt interrupts him, and brings in his next guest, her next guest, which is Jade Cargill. And I'm sorry, but her mic skills have not improved from that first time. And she, once again, is just reiterating the same thing. I want a match. I have Shaq in my corner. Brandy, since Brandy's not gone, who am I going to destroy? But Red Velvet shows up. They have themselves a bit of a struggle amongst each other, which brings the women's division. But then that interrupts with Britt Baker, cutting to Britt Baker attacking Thunder Rosa from an interview and pretty much ruining her makeup. But then that cuts to Thunder Rosa doing a promo on Brett saying that, hey, you've had your moment, but at beach break, it's going to be me and you. And then it just ends with Brittany, I mean, with Britt complaining that, oh, I'm not supposed to fight her. And then you see the title card, beach break, Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. And that ends that segment. And personally, Thank God, because that was very cringy to watch. And now we get to our three, last three matches of the night. This first, the first of three is the is the number one contendership match between FTR and Jurassic Express, which is consisting of Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. Now, of course, in this match, FTR is taking full advantage of the fact that Marco Stunt is not the same size as them, and they just gang up on him, they bully him, they pretty much... To take, they, they, they stop any momentum he has throughout the entire match. But Marco is able to at least fight back against FCR, getting some fast ones on them, getting low blows onto Dash Harwood, and even uh, doing quick huracaranas onto uh, Cash Wheeler. But ultimately, in the end, it doesn't help because who gets himself involved? Who else? Their guy, their, their guy, um, oh my god, I'm forgetting Tully Blanchard. <laughs> Tully Blanchard, yes. Yeah, Tully Blanchard gets himself involved. He does a quick blindside to Marco's stunt, throws him into the ring to where he gets the, uh, I forget what they're calling, of course, their shatter machine. I forget what they're calling it. Big rig. They're calling it the big rig now. Oh, yeah, the big rig. He he gets the big rig from FTR, and they win the match. Originally, they were calling it the Midnight Express, but now they're calling it the big rig in honor of Brody Lee. Yeah, and it's a great honor, too. But ultimately, in the end, this just shows that this is FTR doing what they do best, manipulating people in order to get what they want, and it worked to them throughout perfection by them becoming number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Champions. And now we're going to move on to pretty much 
I would say, if it, if it wasn't for what the main event was, this would have been my match of the night, and that is the NWA Women's Championship between Ty Conte and champion Serena D. Now, there was also a package between, there was also a pre-package on the road to the New Year's Bash of Ty Conte and Serena D. Now, it was, there was a much shorter package for Dynamite, but pretty much, there was, they're pretty much talking about that Ty Conte, she's a great athlete, multi-forms in martial arts, and how Serena Deep's going to combat that. And throughout this match, I see Ty Conte being able to use all of her forms very good. She even does her own vert, and on Twitter, her little uh, judo throws, she calls it her own versions of the Three Amigos, which is fantastic. Mm. And throughout the, and during the match, there, after she does the Three Amigos, she does this phenomenal pump kick to which Serena sells like a champion. She takes the pump kick, she stumbles at first, and then falls out of the ring as if she had gotten her lights knocked out. And it's just a great athletic match. You see Serena, there are a few stumbles, of course, now and then, because Ty is not as mat-skilled as Serena because, you know, she's got her judo, she has her mat skills from judo, and then Serena's mat skills. But ultimately, in the end, Serena ends up winning by getting her finisher, by getting the 1-2-3 on Ty Conte for the victory. Of course, I'll talk more about that you know, later, but I want to get to our final match of the night, which is the TNT Championship, Darby Allen defending against Brian Cage. Now, it's obvious here, Brian Cage is the monster. We all knew Darby Allen was going to have himself an uphill battle, but the way that AEW had booked this had been fantastic. Of course, Brian Cage, without missing a beat, just steamrolls over Darby Allen. He's not looking to win. He's looking to punish him. You have Taz at rinks. You have Taz on commentary. Pretty much talking about his, pre his quick history with Darby Allen. You have Ricky Starks and Hook on the sidelines, coaching him, telling Darby to give up. But then, after the punishment continues, Brian Cage does uh, goes for his power bomb. Darby kicks out at one. When that happened, the whole shift changed. Where you saw Ricky Starks look scared. You saw Taz shook. And then Dark Brian Cage goes once again, looking to punish him. He does, I think, a drill claw. Or I mean, I can't forget the move. But he goes again. Darby Allen kicks out again at one. I think he kicks out two or three times at one during the match, which causes Taz, Ricky Starks, and everyone in Team Taz to freak out. But then Brian Cage, because of the fact that he's emotional, he instead of trying to win, he tries to punish him, which ends up hurting him. And then later on in the match, Darby Allen wants to go for. A, his coffin drop, Brian Cage catches him, and, but well, Ricky Starks distracts Darby to where Brian Cage stops him, but before Brian Cage can do anything, the lights go out, and when the lights come back on, Sting shows up, taps Ricky Starks in the back of the bat, he chokes, he gives him a throat shot with the bat, and then swings on him to, to neutralize Ricky Starks, and with Brian Cage being distracted by Sting, Darby Allen does a crucifix bomb off the turnbuckle to get the 1-2-3 and win and retain the championship. And, of course, this ends with all of Team Taz, Furious. Of course, Brian Cage, he's a big dude, so it didn't hurt him that much. But you see there, with, with, the, with but the point of this whole match was to show that it doesn't matter how much you punish Darby Allen, he will always come back and he will get the victory. And I think this partnership with Sting and him being the TNT champion has brought out a new, not an edge, but this unshakable will within Darby Allen for him to win. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And we saw a lot of that will when... He went to that time limit draw with Cody the first time around. I mean, that if that showed me that this this guy had a lot of grit and a lot of determination. And obviously that was exemplified here. Um, I think it was interesting because, like, and I, I thought the finish in particular was interesting because 
you know, originally the whole rivalry that started between Darby and Taz was when Taz tried to give him a little bit of advice on how to make that crucifix bomb better. And Darby said, fuck you. I don't need to, I don't need any of your advice. Stay the hell away from me. And so to see him get the win with the crucifix bomb here saying, see, I told you I knew how to fucking do it. Asshole. So that, that really spoke to me again. Like you mentioned, the, the match between Ty Conti and Serena Deep was great. Just awesome. A very awesome women's match. Absolutely fantastic. I hope to God that in the next couple of months we can start building more of a presence in the AEW women's division. Hopefully maybe through some talent exchange with Impact for right now, at least until they can bring in a couple more people and season them a little bit more. So that way we can actually expand that women's division into something a lot more impressive. Um, I will count. I will argue by that. I think the fact that Anna Jay and Ty Conti were able to get championship shots and the fact that they had pretty much their best matches against Sheeta and Serena Deep, it shows that they're, they're they are restructuring. I think those two are definitely going to be the, the of course the young, hopefully the new foundations for the women's division. And also, depending on how this uh, partnership with NWA works out, we might see Thunder Rosa officially becoming a part of the AW roster. Of course, Britt Baker is still there, and I know from BT from watching BTE, Chris Statlander is slowly recovering to where she's coming back, and of course, Britt Penelope Ford is still around. So, but yeah, some more uh, inter like some more interpromotional, maybe bringing some impact wrestlers. We see, maybe see Taya Valkyrie or Rosemary on to AW would really shake up, shake things up. Correct, Diana Perrazzo. Actually, she's a great. A technical wrestler, we could see her going against Serena Deep. A great technical match with her. That's just dream matching. But yeah, that was all the card. Go right ahead. Anything else that stuck out to you? Yeah. Um, obviously, the, the storyline with Moxley keeping going, I think, is good because obviously we know he's coming back for that AEW title. He'll probably try to get his rematch at Revolution. Um, FTR, of course, becoming the number one contenders means we're obviously going to get another great match between them and the Young Bucks down the line, which I'm 100% on board for. You know, just so much, so much good stuff with Dynamite. Um, yeah, I will admit the the excuse me, the waiting room segment was was very, very cringe. But let's face it, to a certain degree, some t- some people like watching a lot of cringe. I mean, why hell, why the hell do you think the Kardashians have been on TV as long as they have? So I mean, it's just it's 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 the it's just the facts of life that people like watching a train wreck. It's called Schadenfreude, laughing at others' misfortune. So, in any case, but no, I mean, it, it's sad that Britt is in this position where she's just doing these character bits rather than really getting to show what she can do in the ring right now. But I think, I think maybe part of that's having to do with like the injury that she had. Maybe she isn't still 100% recovered from that. So they're trying to ease her back into the ring gradually rather than try to give her too much too soon to where maybe she'll re aggravate that injury to where she eventually has to go away again. Because I guarantee you, probably not at Revolution, but. More than likely, I would say around the time of Double or Nothing, I have a feeling we're going to get Britt Baker versus Cutter Sheeta for that AEW women's title. I do feel that too. I think that's one of the reasons why she's pinned up against Thunder Rosa. Because Thunder Rosa has shown herself to be a very great wrestler who can adapt with most people. Especially uh, from watching NWA Shockwave, seeing her matches against Priscilla Kelly and Serena Deep, she can work with almost anybody. And I mean almost anybody. All right. Well, with that out of the way, we can now move into the final portion of our show this evening, which is our review of Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill. Overall, Ryan, what were your thoughts on this show? Well, this show, I mean, one thing's for sure, 
The impacts before that really did help elevate and really help set the tension for these matches. Um, the opening match, it was the reforming of Decay, Rosemary and Crazy Steve versus Tennille Dashwood and Kayla. Now, of course, if if you had just watched Impact and you're wondering, I mean, if you're just watching Hard to Kill and you're wondering what was the storyline for this, it was just pretty much just reestablishing that Decay is reforming and they're just going to be back and they're going to be back up to Taya Valkyrie. Yeah. And then throughout the match, uh, throughout the match that happened, it was just pretty much a good back and forth. You would see Crazy Steve. It, it, different combinations, honestly. And even though it was still men versus men and sometimes women versus women, there were moments where you got to see Crazy Steve wrestle Tennille and you got to see Rosemary wrestle Caleb. So it was a great way to have some good intergender wrestling happening. But in the end, Decay wins by Rosemary and Crazy Steve spitting out the green mist on Tennille and Caleb. Which is funny because... Rose, I mean, Rosemary is the one that spits green mist in Caleb's face in order for him to get the win. But earlier on, Crazy Steve had spit green mist into Tennille's face in order to neutralize her. So then it was just him and Caleb. So it was a great, it was it was a good match, a good warm up to start everybody off in the match. We weren't, this wasn't a barn burner, but this was at least something to dip your toe in the water. And also, Impact did change up their commentary team because normally it's always been. Josh Matthews and Madison Rain. Now they have brought in Matt Stryker and D'Lo Brown as their commentary for Hard to Kill. Yeah, I, I had heard about that. I'd heard about that announcement. And you know, as much as I, I commend Josh Matthews, Josh, Josh Matthews, there it is, for everything that he's done with Impact. And I, even then, I wasn't sold on Madison Rain at the beginning. But I mean, I, I guess being a husband and wife, they do have chemistry and everything like that. So I guess everything makes sense. But uh, I never really, really you know, latched onto them as commentators. So to know that they're going in separate directions, I think that's, that's an interesting move up for them. You know, hopefully things work out well for them in that regard. Uh, Matt Stryker, as we know, can do his, his thing on commentary. I wasn't sure how D'Lo Brown was going to do. How do you, how do you feel he did in this, in that regard? I think D'Lo Brown did very well. I mean, one thing, the reason why I think Madison worked well with Josh, not because of the fact her husband wife, but because she was also a wrestler. So she was able to really do some good job with the play-by-play commentary. And I think with D'Lo Brown, the fact he was a wrestler, he was a backstage personnel, he's been a wrestling coach. So I think now, and him and Matt Stryker, I think they have this great tandem with each other. I mean, right now it's just one night, so I think he did a great job. Depending on how he's going to do moving forward will dictate it all. But D'Lo Brown, he's always had some great charisma when he was with WWE, part of Nation of Domination, or when he did his own singles run. Very true. Very but, true. I, I, but I do like the fact that he's willing to step up and get some camera time. But yeah, he yeah, was absolutely. able to really... Uh, but then later, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. <laughs> no, no, I was going to say, yeah, overall, I thought this match was good. Um, I thought we really got a lot of a good look at Rosemary and what Crazy Steve can do now as a tandem once again. And again, knowing what we know about Crazy Steve and his, his condition, to, to see the level of work that he's able to put out is nothing short of fantastic. So good on you. I mean, we've seen people have to overcome stuff like that before. I mean, you look at Zach Gowan for crying out loud. You look at, um, oh, yeah. oh, what was the guy's name in, he was in the Casino Battle Royal the first time oh, around at Double yeah, Nothing. I mean, yes, uh, um, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I wish I knew his yeah, name Double yeah, Amputee, I'm trying to remember his name. Yeah, yeah uh, if you can, I'm going to say, if you try to look him up, try to look him up. Because the one thing I remember more than anything about that match was when MJF got in his face and said, Sorry about that, Lieutenant Dan! I thought that, was, uh, oh. that, that if that didn't solidify... MJF is one of the best heels of the 21st century. I don't know what did. 
But um, but no, like, and just the back and forth. And again, we've seen that Impact is not afraid to do intergender wrestling. You know, we we saw it with uh, Tessa Blanchard winning the Impact World Title and whatnot. So, I mean, I think I believe his name is Dustin Thomas. That was it. That was it. Dustin Thomas. Thomas. I remember now. Yeah. Yeah, I see him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing him now. Yeah, I've seen his – one of the first things that pop up is his card. It's based on the Double or Nothing Casino Royale Battle Royale card. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was him. But, yeah, like we've seen it – like I said, Zach Gowan, Dustin Thomas. We've seen a lot of different guys be able to do this. Um, I know there's one in particular. Uh, I think his name is Gregory Irons. He, he's a, He's got cerebral palsy, who's a professional wrestler at the same time. And I'm just like, you know what? Good on you. You're not letting your your limitations dictate what you can do with your life. Good, good for you, man, and keep it up. Um, so yeah, this like I said, but like I was saying before, we know that Impact's not afraid to edge into intergender territory. They've they've done it before. They will continue to do it in the future, I'm sure. Um, and I'm I'm all for it. Like I said, you know, obviously, I think one of the big criticisms that I think a lot of people levy that way is it'll promote domestic violence. And I'm like, no, because let's face it, you see female led action movies where they're getting beat up on by guys and that's not promoting domestic violence. So that's a weak sauce argument. Um, So no, intergender wrestling would not, you know, promote domestic violence. Obviously with sponsors, it's probably not something that they want to encourage is male and female violence. So I get it. But at the same time, it's a work. It's a, it's a scripted thing, just like any movie where the same thing happens. And again, at this point, if they really don't want to promote that message to kids about violence between men and women, then it's up to the parents to have that conversation. It's not up to the television producers or the advertisers or the networks to censor their product just because you don't think little Jimmy can handle it. Do your job as a parent and actually tell them what's right from wrong. Don't expect television to raise your kids, you fucking numpties. One of the things that constantly bothers me is one of the stupid excuses that one of the excuses that WWE never tries to promote intergender wrestling. They think, oh, we don't want this to be a bad image for the kids. Look, if you watch Independent, you will see that they have intergender wrestling. Dude, Japan is able to do intergender wrestling very well to where they have some of the weirdest matches. There's this Twitch channel I follow where they're watching Joshi wrestling. There's one wrestler out there named Lulu Pencil who does wrestling matches in a classroom. And they keep it very safe to where it's just a simple format and it's nothing but just slow-moving wrestling and gimmicks. And just as recently, I saw a New Japan wrestling match that happened on a train with people in there. And they even had a few women wrestlers. So it's for WWE to build this, uh, not stereotype, this negative that intergender wrestling is a bad thing or it's just not right for the audience. You guys need to break out of that brainwashing and really look outside of wrestling. Because if you really look outside of your normal circles, you will go to see that there are companies, good or bad, that are able to put on wrestling matches that is not just different, but can show you it can be done. Exactly. I mean, look at your own history with China back in the day. She was fighting men for actual men's championships. You've done it before. You've done it in a way to where it makes sense. So... Just repeat that formula. It's not that fucking hard. Anyway, uh, next match on the card. No worries. And that's kind of, uh, this aggression's kind of good because the next match was the six-man old-school rules match between Young, Dorian, and Diener, who are calling themselves Violent by Design versus Rhino, Dreamer, and Cousin Jake. Yeah, it's it's a good name, especially with Eric Young, his constant promo has always been, this world doesn't belong to you. And one of the promos when he was, uh, 
a training, like conditioning uh, diener was inside of a prison. So it's kind of to where it feels as if there is more sinister, like, uh, menace between this team. And, of course, throughout this match, a lot of it's, it's it's a simple match. It's a tornado match. There's no tag. There's no traditional tag team rule standard. All six men just start wailing up against each other. And then, of course, they brought in different weapons, like chairs, kendo sticks. I think they wanted to try to bring in the table, but that didn't happen. Right. So it's but basically it just, a six-man extreme rules match. Got it. Almost, yeah. But the thing was that, yeah, there's just no DQs involved. Tornado tag match, yeah, anything goes in this match, except falls count anywhere. Pretty much right. you have the pin or submit in the ring. Um, but in the end, Young's team wins by by designs by having to neutralize uh, Rhino and Cousin and Dreamer by Eric Young getting the pile driver on Cousin Jake for the win. And then, you know, it just stands with all three of them victorious. Yeah. I mean, it's good to see that at least some of the companies out there are keeping that old-school ECW vibe about them in regards to violence and things like that. And I'm sure we'll get into that uh, later on with the barbed wire massacre match as well. But like I said, I like, I like the fact that violent by design went over here. I think it keeps the story going a little bit longer. I think it plays up the violence and the, you know, the heelish nature of young and Doring and the indoctrination of Diener and all of that stuff. And I, I really think it's going to add a lot more to the drama when eventually Diener and cousin Jake do eventually have a one-on-one where he tries to break, Diener away, and uh, I can't wait to see what comes out of that match. So, one hundred percent agree. And um, pretty much afterward, it was just a quick backstage segment. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention that from Hard to Kill, Alex said during early in the promo, Alex Shelley had revealed that he had gotten himself unfortunately hurt. It was outside of his control, so he couldn't continue for the six man match. And so the replacement from Scott Demore was Moose. And of course, people who've been watching Impact. Rich Swan has not been happy about it because Moose, after he had beaten EC3, had decided to tar- go after Rich Swan. But he went after Rich Swan through his best friend, Willie Mack, which led to a match between Rich Swan and Willie Mack at Genesis to an I Quit match where Moose, was, uh, where Moose won. Right. But the thing with this backstage skit, backstage skit was that Saban and Swan are trying to psych each other up. Moose comes in. They're being, Of course, they're being very aggressive towards him they're like what are you doing like why are you getting yourself involved moose pretty much stated out when he was playing in football he did he played he played with men he hated men he despised men he didn't respect but ultimately in the end the moment that whistle blew and when the game happened he fought tooth and nail these men as if they were brothers and he's pretty much telling them it doesn't matter what our business is and what's important is defending impact because as he said, he doesn't like the fact that Kenny Omega comes in here from AW trying to make a mockery of this company that he is a part of. And the fact that Gallows and Anderson has also kind of betrayed that notion as well. And of course with Don Callis. So he's pretty much saying, this is not about us right now. This is about impact. And then Rich Swan and Satan can get on board with that. And it just ends with all three of the men in the locker room getting ready. Or just who's sitting there, you know, mentally preparing himself. I mean, it's the old standby, the enemy, the enemy is my friend, you know, and that's that's kind of yeah. the way it works. It's like, you know, yeah, right now, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers are the enemy, not just of you guys, but of all of Impact. You know, they're the ones seeking to kind of tr- tear this place down, or at least not, if not tear it down, tear down the reputation. Like, we need them in order to be a legitimate company. So, yeah, it makes sense. Exactly. It absolutely makes sense. Yeah. 
All right, then afterwards, we have ourselves the finals of the ta Knockouts Tag Team Tournament for the Knockouts Tag Team Championship. It is Havoc and Nevaeh versus the team of Fire and Flava, which is Kiara Hogan and Tasha Steeles. And they come out decked in similar ring gear. Before then, they were just different colors. Kiara Hogan always came out in, like, blue and silver and white, and Tasha Steeles came out in her ring guard of the colors of the Puerto Rican flag. But this time, they came out together as an official team, with the team name and the ring gear. And then, of course, throughout this match, it was just a simple knockouts match. Uh, Kiara and Tasha were trying to use their quickness and their cohesiveness to try to t mostly attack Nevaeh, uh, because Jessica Havoc, she is a very... Uh, she's a tank of a woman. So, Nevaeh, she's kind of more of an average size. So, it was she was the one they went after the most. Whenever Havoc got involved, they tried to do, like, quick tandem wrestling in order to limit it to neutralize Havoc, but to no avail. But ultimately, in the end, they come out on top, winning the match and becoming knockout tag team champions. And, it, and of course, the celebration goes with Madison Rain and Gail Kim bringing the knockouts tag titles and presenting it to both Kiera and Tasha for the victory. And they treat it like if it's a babyface victory. They don't rub it on anyone's faces. They're just happy that they won. There you go. But the match was pretty good. It was a good match. I mean, it was clear different styles. Like I said, it was different styles because uh, Tasha and Kiera, they're more smaller opponents to Havoc and Nevaeh. Havoc and Nevaeh are more of a powerhouse team. So you were truly seeing two different team dynamics happening at the same, happening all at once. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I dug the match. I thought, um, obviously, I think it's cool that, you know, uh, Fire and Flavo were coming out there with a nice little, you know, some some synergy. I thought it was I thought it was important. And obviously, yes. it, it paid off for him in the end. So, uh, yeah, where the story goes from here, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I definitely think that, again, with the renewed focus on, you know, creativity and freedom and things like that, I believe that maybe Impact is actually going to show WWE up on how to, you know, present women's tag teams and actually do it right to where it's compelling, not just a damn publicity stunt, which it seems like was the entire purpose behind this whole thing in the first place when it comes to Vince McMahon. So, yeah, uh, thought it was a good match, thought it was fun. Uh, again, I think the right team won, and yeah. yeah. And I think also with Fire and Flavor winning, it does set, it does set up some more, uh, I, nothing that gets Havoc in the bit, just get Havoc, throughout the independent scene, has shown she is a great wrestler. It's just when it came with Akira and Tasha, they are the better characters to hold those belts to where you can build your teams. All right, moving forward. Um, before, they were about to hype up the Triple Threat Exhibition match, but Matt and D'Lo Brown were interrupted by Ace Austin, accompanied by Madman Fulton, and Ace was just pretty much there saying that, look, he was upset that during the pre their during their pre show he gets a he he got a one on one match and said he's pretty much like throwing his ire like I faced three different men for the Super X Cup division I deserve myself a spot in the light but and he wanted to, and he wanted to fight somebody so Scott Demore comes out and well not really he wants the recognition but Scott Demore comes out and says yeah you deserve the recognition pretty much he's playing up to his ego but it's mostly a bait and switch to where he says not only do you deserve recognition but you deserve an opponent. And then his last words were, but I do have myself an opponent. I do have an opponent for you. And this opponent is always ready. Cue the music of Matt Cardona making his impact debut. Nice. And of course, Ace Austin 
thrown off by it for being pissed off. But this is pretty much this is pretty much just a night to show Matt Cardona is a part of Impact Wrestling. Maybe like maybe he's got a contract with them, or this was just a a, a small term event, but it doesn't matter. This match is pretty much just a simple wrestling match going back and forth. Ace, he's unprepared against Matt Cardona. Matt is pretty much a house of fire in the match. But the match ends in DQ by Matt when Madman Fulton gets involved. Pretty much throws, he, he, he pretty much slides into the ring. He catches Zack Ryder, throws him aside, ref rings the belt, and it's over. But the moment he tries to attack Matt Cardona, Matt kicks him off and then gets his uh, leg lariat finisher on the Fulton for, you know, to stand tall. And that, that was it. It was just a quick three-minute match, honestly. I love how you went from calling him Matt Cardona, called him Zack Ryder, and then went back to calling him Matt Cardona again. Oh, I did? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> oh, crap. Woo-woo-woo. <laughs> you know it. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I like I said. Why? Because his moves were still the same. He still the same it's yeah, it's the Zach same Ryder move. It's the same guy. We know he's been called Zack Ryder for the longest time. It's just... It's hard. To, it's hard to shake that. It really is. I'm. I'm not. I'm not because I every every now and then I still want to call FTR Dash and Dawson rather than. Same you know, here. Trust I, me. I, so I, I get it. I'm just. I'm busting your balls, dude. It's. It's all good. Yeah. But no, That's like, why I keep saying, like Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler. Make sure yeah. they're they're grilled into my head. Yeah. But no. Um. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh. Great to see Matt Cardona. You know. Obviously, the last place we saw him was AEW, but apparently it was just in a handshake agreement. It wasn't a big. You know, long-term contract. Is this the same kind of situation? Who knows? Could he potentially be on impact when some AEW guys come to invade? Could he potentially go to AEW, you know, playing both sides of the coin, seeing who wants to pony up the most cash for a contract? That could actually be a big thing, like a free agency thing, like which of the companies gets to sign Matt Cardona first? You know, so yeah. there's there's a lot of – a lot of raises stock much more than it was in WWE. Exactly. Sure. Make him a utility player. Obviously, there's the advantage of going to Impact is his old tag team partner Brian Myers is there. We could obviously have a big thing with that. So who knows, you know? But either way, it was good to see him. Even though the match kind of got thrown out and he wasn't even really able to get a, a nice little baby face shine with a win or anything like that, it was still fun to see him. Nice, a nice little last minute addition to you know add and kill time on the show. So. And let's just get on to our next match, which was the Triple Threat X Division Championship between Manic, Rohit, Rohit Raju, and Chris Bay. Now, this match clearly was a true house of fire. One of the reasons why X Division is so damn good. Frenetic, frenetic energy throughout the entire match. Through constant changes of uh, rest holds, to mat, some, some match transitions, to submission holds, to high-flying abilities, and even striking connects. Quick super kicks all around. And um, but one of the main things about this match is that Rohit, uh, it's not obvious to everybody because people have seen TJP wrestle. TJP mainly wrestles when you know, with long pants, trunks, and so he leaves mostly his upper body visible, and he's got tattoos on him. And with Manic, he's got himself a vest on, but his arms are exposed, and at the same time, his mask and makeup over his face, but it doesn't cover up the hair. So it's not. It's pretty much Impact saying we know it's we already we we obviously know it's TJP, but. At the same time, we're pl- they're playing off Manic as if it's a different persona of right. TJP. But Rohit, but the big storyline was Rohit believes that if he unmasks, if he unmasks Manic, he will be able to improve his TJP. He believes he'll be able to strip him of that X Division Championship, nullifying his loss to Manic. And that was his main obsession throughout the entire match. Whenever he got his chance, he tries to grab at Manic's mask to unmask him, which he successfully does in the mat in the match. 
after Manic does a suicide dive onto Chris Bay, he slides in, and Rohit follows, grabs him, he takes the mask off, but the moment he goes to look at Manic, Manic has face, face, face paint on. Now, clearly, it is still TJP, but the commentators are still playing off as if, well, I guess we're still never going to know. They're not insulting us. They're just going like, oh, looks like Manic thought ahead in order to, you know, legally, to avoid the legal complications. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. But, well, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say, I'll, I'll let you finish here in a second. But that that reminded me of a fun little moment from, uh, what was it, Arrow Season 3, if I'm not mistaken. If you remember when he went, when they had the flashbacks where he was, you know, in Hong Kong and everything like that, and he's like, did anybody see, uh, yeah, the, the one Japanese guy, I think it was Maceo, said. Oh, uh, Maceo. Maceo, yeah, yeah. Maceo said, what are you, nuts? Did anybody see you? No, I had my hood over oh, my it's, it's when he went, It was during Season 3 flashbacks, he went back to Star City. Yeah, when he went back to Star yeah. City, yeah. He's like, no, I had my hood up. He said, and Maceo goes, that wouldn't even work if you put grease paint over your eyes, you idiot. I was like, yeah. that's, that's, that, that was the only thing that it made me think of. But it's kind of funny, though. But still, uh, he, he still throughout the match, he wrestles with that face paint on, which I give credit to the face paint because normally when we've seen face paint, it starts to rub off the more, the longer it is on. And the fact yeah. that he had the face paint under a mask, going the way, the work, the work, working the way he did, the way he did. I give so much credit to who was ever in, who, whoever the makeup artist was. Right, absolutely. But only in the end of the match, there were so many close finishes to where Manic was able to get his finisher, Chris Bay kicked out, or he thought he had the match won, Chris Bay stops it, Chris Bay does a double face buster, does a double ace cu- face cutter on both Rojit and Manic, and then gets his move, thinking it's over, but Rojit breaks up, but ultimately in the end, Manic wins the match and retains his exhibition championship while he's staring down Rohit Raju and of course the whole thing is the obsession still continues extending this rivalry with Rohit and Manic. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, great, great match. All all kinds of like high octane offense, you know, false finish after false finish after false finish. You know, the the commentator is actually selling the face paint as if it's actually good enough of a disguise to actually not clue us into the fact that it's TJP. Again, they're playing up to the ridiculous. They're keeping kayfabe, so I can I can respect it. But yeah, uh, overall, love the match. Love you know the work from all three of these guys. Great, great stuff. And it was a good. But now we transition into the match that we're regarding a certain wrestler that we're definitely going to talk about, and that was the cinematic match between Ethan Page and the Karate Man. His yeah. gimmick. Now, of course, this being a cinematic match, Ethan Page is selling this, you know, he's treating it very seriously. But when you're watching, it starts off very serious at first between him and Karate Man fighting. Of course, Ethan Page selling the Karate Man gimmick right. is one thing. But then later on throughout the match, throughout the cinematic match, it gets a little comical because Ethan Page does this uppercut. I mean, it's pretty much just strikes, kicks back and forth. It's just a fist fight. Not an actual wrestling match. Yeah. And so it switches from seriousness to when the Karate Man Rick jumps back up. He starts kicking. He starts, you know, doing roundhouse kicks, high kicks. And then does a version of a bicycle kick onto Ethan Page. From which, if you can just tell, it's just, it's, just, it's just him on his back, you know, kicking his legs in the air. And then it ends with him ripping out the heart of Ethan Page winning the match. Now, this is a couple days removed from, uh, this is days removed from Hard to Kill. And when I watched that match, I had a blast watching it. But then, of course, I'm learning of the reports that Ethan Page 
was not happy but with the way that match was brought edit down. He treated the match as if it was 100% a serious fight between two personas in his head. and But the way that Impact had cut that down to where it was very comical. And then it kind of reveals the fact that Ethan did say he was not coming back to Impact. He didn't resign. He did not resign with them. It's more to me to where Impact was like, okay, you're not coming back with us. We're just going to screw you over. Yeah, we're going to make you look like a chump. Which, yeah. let's face it, the way that they cut and edited it, yeah, it, prob- it came off more or less like a corny kung fu movie. Like Kung Fu Hustle or... What the, uh, what's the name of that one? Kung Pao, Enter the Fist, and stuff like that. I'm sure it came off a lot yeah. like that in a lot of ways. But, I mean, it was fun for what it was. I, I honestly didn't get into this match too much. Granted, like I said, me, the highlight of my cinematic matches, you know my one and two, are the Firefly Funhouse match and the Stadium Stampede. Everything else has yeah. just kind of been like, meh. Um, I mean, like I said, for what it was and for recognizing, you know, what they were going for, it was fine. It was just, it, it, it just wasn't my thing. That's, that's just, I'm just real talk, you know? No, it's real talk, too. I mean, I, when I got back in the Impact, I came back during the time when Paige and Alexander, as the North, were still being the longest-running Impact champions when they were doing a, uh, a match, when they were doing a rivalry against a face Sammy Callahan and Ken Shamrock. So when I came across that time, I'm thinking, okay, maybe if I can find their matches and see what goes through. But once they lost to the Motor City Machine Guns, the cracks were happening there. And I think when they won the belts and lost them to the Good Brothers, I think it was kind of clear that Paige did not want to come back because everything that was happening was just more. Paige just kept messing up, not getting anything right. But I still, I was still entertained by the match, honestly. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Yeah. All right, now let's get to our last two matches of the night, which, honestly, if it wasn't for AEW getting involved, this would have been the main event, which is the Barbed Wire Massacre match between Sammy Callahan and Eddie Edwards. Pretty much they're booking as if this is the feud, this is the match to finally end the feud. This bitter personal rivalry between them. And the way that this match had the way that this match was set up, it really looked like that these men were going to kill each other because there were so many objects around the ring covered in barbed wire. They even had a barbed wire steel cage, one half one side steel cage covered in barbed wire on the ring. And then they, they had a they even had a top of the ring post covered in barbed wire. They had uh, on they had two separate sides. One side, of course, was the was the steel cage with the barbed wire. Another side was a kendo stick and a bat hanging on a steel chain connected to two posts covered in barbed wire. So they were really going all out. And of course, the ropes themselves were covered in barbed wire too. And each and they did not do like to wear one at. It wasn't as if one was not going to be used. Everything that was in barbed wire was used throughout this entire match. But they built it up very slowly. First, it was just Eddie and Sammy going fist, doing wrestling moves. But then they teased to where who's going to get hit with the barbed wire first. And then Eddie dropkicks Sammy into the ropes with barbed wire. He gets caught. But then later on in the match, they start they bring in other bar, they bring in they start teasing other barbed wire stuff. Eddie Edwards was going to do a suicide dive onto Sammy Callahan, but there was a plywood covered in bar. There was a plywood table covered in barbed wire. He threw into Eddie Edwards' face, which caused that to break. Ugh. And then Sammy reaches under the ring. He grabs, which I did, I thought was insane, an N64 controller covered in barbed wire, mainly on the controller end. And he uses, and the ropes are not covered in barbed wire, so he used that as pretty much like a fucking swinging maze as he's clobbering down Eddie Edwards. 
And there's even moments where he takes the controller port of the wire and sticks it in Eddie Edwards' mouth as if he's going to do like a his own version of a fucking curb stomp. But that did not happen. But the match did get brutal. Both men ended up bleeding, obviously. You had moments to where they had themselves caught in the barbed wire to where they're selling it like gangbusters. But then ultimately towards the end, Eddie Edwards, after... Um, Eddie and Sammy fight up against the steel the steel cage post with the barbed wire. Eddie grabs a steel cage that is wrapped in barbed wire. He hits Sammy with it three, four, five times. And then, of course, he uses his finisher, the Boston Knee Party, on him. But Sammy kicks out at one, which was amazing. But then Eddie just doesn't relent. He grabs him and then does the Emerald Flosion, which is an honor to one of his uh, Japanese mentors in New Japan. And he gets the one, two, three for the win. Eddie, Cal- Eddie Edwards wins the match and mostly wins the feud. And then afterward, both men are just lying down in the ring, you know, like, no idea how bad they're hurt. Eddie's wife, Alicia, comes out, you know, for support, and, you know, finally the whole thing is over. Eddie stands tall. Yeah. Um, not really much more I can say about this match other than what you've already done. This this match was insane. I mean, barbed wire massacres are always insane. You know, uh, it brings back memories of when, you know, Sabu got a gash in his arm so bad he had to tape the darn thing up oh. and keep his bicep from falling out. Um, and honestly, I, I knew going into this match, I'm like, they better have a couple of doctors handy backstage to where they can perform a blood transfusion or something. Cause these guys are going to be bleeding buckets. And they absolutely did. Um, not not quite to the level of like Eddie Guerrero in that match with JBL at Judgment Day a number of years ago, but still, it was it, you know you're. But it was enough, especially during times of COVID, where you gotta be very careful. Like these guys, yeah. can, you know, infect each other with blood, like with any transmitted disease. But I'm, yeah. but the fact that oh, you, you mean know, like Cowboy Bob like, Orton did on uh, to the Undertaker during that whole Hell in a Cell debacle a number of years ago. Say, did you ever hear well, that story? What happened with Desmond Wolf? We- yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, basically, for those of you for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, uh, Cowboy Bob Orton, uh, back when Randy Orton was in a feud with the Undertaker when they had their mat their uh, Hell in a Cell match, I believe it was at Armageddon 06, I want to say. No, it was yeah, Armageddon yeah, 05. Yeah, Armageddon 05. Yeah, this was after WrestleMania 21. With so yeah, yeah this, it, it would have been before yeah. the whole Royal Rumble thing, before you know the whole Eddie ain't in heaven, Eddie's in hell, you know that sort of thing with Randy. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, they fought in a Hell in a Cell match. Uh, Cowboy Bob Orton bled all over The Undertaker, but didn't, neglected to tell anybody before he bled that he had hep C. So, yeah, uh, not exactly a good look for uh, old Ace. But in any case, nope. um, yeah, like, especially when it comes to blood, obviously you've got to be careful with a lot of bloodborne pathogens, things like that. I'm sure both gentlemen were tested prior to the match. I'm sure they both got tested after the match, so... Hopefully everything is fine and dandy and on the up and up. All right, let's go ahead and head into the main event. Yes, the main event, which is the six-man match. Uh, Rich Swan, Moose, and Chris Saban versus Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers. But here's an interesting fashion. When they came out, both Kenny and the Good Brothers were dressed up with Bullet Club gear. Carl Anderson with a Bullet Club jacket, uh... Doc Gallows, he has himself Bullet Club logos on, and then Kenny Omega comes out with a Bullet Club shirt. Yep. Pretty much signifying that, yeah, we're not going to hide, we're not going to allude to this fact. Yeah, we're going to be Bullet Club here in Impact. But, and this match was very good. Um, I mean, personally, the Barbar Master was the fucking match of the night, honestly. But when it comes to athleticism, honestly, this match, 
I, I mean, I should have said this earlier, but the exhibition, barbed wire, and this match were all three main event matches because of how good they were. Everyone, this match had some very interesting uh, ch uh, change-ups to it. Um, I will admit the fact that Moose, I mean, they really avoided some of the more obvious, like, matchups, honestly. Because, of course, Moose and Doc Gallows being big men, you'd think they'd square off immediately. But no, they, they, they would always change up. They did fight off eventually. But it always came down to Moose. He would fight Doc Gallows. Saban, he would maybe have a shot at Doc, at, I mean, no, sorry. Carl Anderson. Moose. Yes, Carl Anderson. Why am I always getting them mixed up? They're obvious. Okay, yeah, Moose Scruff against Anderson, Saban against Gallows, and Kenny against Omega, and sometimes, I mean, Kenny against Rich Swan. And, some, and of course, the combinations would change up. But one of the interesting things was is that there was this little doubt in the back of people's, in the, in the minds of the commentators, and one skit happened earlier on between Moose and Don Callis, to where you thought it was going to elude that Moose would betray them, but Moose did not. And... One thing that happened between the skip between Moose and Callus was that Callus was trying to uh, tempt Moose by saying that, look, the contract might be coming up for renegotiation soon, and you know, trying to get Moose in his good graces, but Moose pretty much just said, I'm here to wrestle for Impact, I'm TNA World Heavyweight Champion, I'm soon going to, and after this is over, I'm going to turn towards Rich Swan to, to unify the championships, to become the undisputed Impact Champion, and then he even says to Callus, Maybe I might pop up on AEW Dynamite and go after your boy. So Moose does lead a bit of an illusion there to that he's he's game focused on fighting fighting with Saban and Swan, and this entire match shows that he does not he does not allude to any betrayals. He even tries to do some t uh, tag team moves with them, like a, a Doomsday Device, a couple like uh, even like a double suicide attempts, suicide dives. Like Moose is showing that he is a team partner. But ultimately, in the end, Gallows, Anderson, they're able to neutralize uh, Moose and Saban to where Kenny Omega gets the one-winged angel onto Rich Swan and pins him for the one, two, three. And it leads with the shock of the commentators going, Kenny, Kenny pinned the Impact Champion! Kenny pinned the Impact Champion! Where does this go through the future? And then that ends the show. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty much the only guaranteed result we had out of this whole thing. Obviously, they're going to keep this storyline going as long as possible. There was no way... Swan and uh, Saban and Moose were all going to be able to fend off Kenny and the Good Brothers, especially not with the scheming tactics of Don Callis. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, great match, you know, great combinations, great flow, you know, from one, you know, tag to the other and uh, the interchangeability and the chemistry between all of these guys. You can tell that they were really comfortable working together with a lot of this stuff and they they found a lot of great moments to really work with each other and really create, you know, a, a memorable match. And, you know, for the first pay-per-view from Impact under this whole dynamic, um, I thought it, I thought it was really well done. And I think, you know, again, I think it leaves the door open for further collaboration down the line. Now, whether or not that means we're going to see Impact guys show up on Revolution, uh, I have no idea. You know, well, maybe we see a, a run-in from a couple of Impact guys at Beach Break. I don't know. But uh, all I know is, is that the... The options are out there, and the the seeds have been planted to really, really open up the doors for a lot of interesting stories and a lot of interesting dynamics between certain uh, certain performers that have not existed before. And I am very, very intrigued to see where that goes. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us here today. We've gone a little long. You know, it's it, we we wanted to try to keep this under. An hour and a half, but we're pushing up on the two-hour mark here. But 
before we go, we will go ahead and let you guys know that we are going to do predictions for the Royal Rumble. We weren't able to do them for Hard to Kill. Unfortunately, our schedules just couldn't line up and we weren't able to really get it done. Um, but we will be doing them for Hard to Kill. However, or not Hard to Kill, for the Royal Rumble. But when it comes to the Royal Rumble match, we do have a little something for the loser. It is called a punishment. We decided it would be a lot more interesting if we actually added some consequences to these predictions. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pull up a big old wheel that has our consequences on it. I'm going to go ahead and let my partner here see this so he knows exactly what's going on here. And as you can see, Ryan, here is what we've got. So, our options. Yep, we've got... Here Here are the, the options for the punishments. We have 30 wings in 30 minutes. Obviously, it's Royal Rumble season, 30-man Royal Rumble. So, 30 wings in 30 minutes. Hopefully, you can hold your cookies until that time is over. Uh, the one-chip challenge. Yep, that is on the list. We have en listening to Enzo Amore's rap album. God knows that's torture. Um, five minutes of wall sits. Get those quads burning really good. Uh, you also have a winner's choice wedge, which means, you know, basically the winner can choose whichever uh, whichever consequence they want. We also have the gallon of milk challenge where you have to drink a gallon of milk and try not to puke. No one I know has ever done so without puking. So that should be fun and embarrassing. Uh, we also have the toe of Satan challenge. I've done this one before, not for a predictions video, but for something else. And trust me, it is hell. It sucks. Uh, we also have wrestling-themed karaoke, where the loser will have to perform three wrestlers' theme songs as chosen by the winner. Uh, we also have uh, the loser buys the winner a meal, which, you know, obviously Cash App makes that pretty easy. Uh, we have five minutes in plank, which, let's face it, I need to work on my abs anyway, so that might actually be a little bit of a benefit here. And of course, last but not least, we have the cinnamon challenge. All right, Ryan, if you had to pick one of these you feel like would be the least painful out of all of them. Which one would you probably pick? I think the 30 wings in 30 minutes, honestly, that's the least painful personally. <laughs> yeah, 30 wings in 30 minutes or even the cinnamon challenge might not be too terrible. Yeah. Yeah, as, a, as opposed to any of the others. But here we go. Let us decide our fate in three, two, one. Okay, here we go. This will be an easy one for the first time around. All right, so, yep, the loser has to buy the winner a meal. Awesome. So it'll be a meal of the uh, the winner's choice. They will let the uh, opponent know how much the meal will totally cost, and then the uh, loser will have to send them the money for the meal via Cash App, PayPal, what have you. So, uh, like I said, not a, not a bad one for our for our first time around. It definitely could have been a could have been a lot worse. So. Uh, we, we both collectively dodged a bullet on that one. But that means that eventually the buy the winner a meal comes off the list. And now something else will take its place next time. So that will definitely yeah. <laughs> be an interesting dynamic when that happens. But all right. But thank you guys so much for joining us. We had a lot of fun reviewing the week that was in the world of professional wrestling. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. If you did, go ahead and leave us a nice little review. Let us know what you think of the show. Five stars is appreciated, but you can be as honest as possible. It doesn't really matter. Uh, and, of course, feel free to follow us on any of your podcast apps. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, if you use the Anchor app, Google Podcasts, all of that. 
So go ahead, find us, like us, review us. All that good stuff really helps the show. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We have obviously been here a while. We have ranted, we have rambled, we have raged. But it has all been for the love of professional wrestling. So on behalf of myself, James Shima, and my co-host, Ryan Payne, we bid you all adieu. Thank you so much. Take care, and until next time, hey, ref, ring the bell.